Sonic State.com. So here we are, Sonic State Talk 10. We made double figures, guys. Who'd have ever thought it, eh? So we've got uh, Andy Jones once again. Hello. And Dave Spears is with us this week. Hello. Andy's a proprietor of Feedback PR. He provides uh, PR and uh, promotion facilities to uh, various manufacturers of musical equipment. Also uh, was a long-time editor of Future Music in the UK for, for a number of years. And Dave, of course, is one part of uh, G Media Music who makes such finance software instruments as the Imposca, Oddity and Mini Monster Melaman. Just back from holiday, Dave. Uh, yeah, well, I went on the same day of, of the um, airport chaos, so that was quite entertaining. How did that once, go? Uh, it was interesting, yeah. Of course, I had my bloody hand baggage with the MacBook Pro, the new HD vid cam, another vid cam, um, a Canon stills camera, the iPod and everything, and then we get to the airport and it's just like, it was total chaos so we've gone through all this kind of you know like i'm wrapping all my gear up in towels and just going please please you know don't let the baggage handler smash this to hell and uh, then we get to security and they say i mean literally i've got a passport on me and my tickets and they say have you got any sharp objects but the guys with machine guns i thought better of saying you know i've only got my razor sharp wit to declare that's it but <laughs> There was that story that you sent, Dave, where um, you know the, the musicians' union in this country is kind of lobbying the government to sort of say, look, please, please, you know, you've got to have dispensation because a lot of people who are particularly orchestral players, string players, their instruments are worth upwards of you know 100 grand or whatever you know they could be worth an awful lot of money and they're just not able to take them on planes and it means that um according to the story that uh, they're having actually having to turn down work and break contracts and now they're getting sued because they can't get to where they're going um i don't know i mean what do you think the solution is the internet but one thing that somebody did say which was quite a valid point was if it matters to you that much get a ferry over to the continent and fly from the continent where the restrictions aren't as high. So do you think there might be a sort of two-tier travel system whereby you actually get slower modes of transport to somewhere where you don't get, you know, hand luggage kind of um, fascism? Uh, Yeah, no, I'd be completely up for that. I think, I I do actually think a lot of this is going to get people, well, hopefully, to to question whether they actually really need to use planes in the first place, which, uh, for the long-term good of the planet, I suppose, has to be a good thing. Well, you know, however long this this, this terrorism business lasts. Um, I think for musicians, there are alternatives. Um, certainly so, collaboration software. Um, it, it, that seems to have come on leaps and bounds. I did some work for Computer Music Magazine, testing Digital Musician Net and uh, VST, VS Tunnel, I think it was called. And they're two applications that... that are brilliant for collaborating you really don't need to be with the other person you're working with it's almost real time but isn't that collaboration software kind of all digital i mean so if you wanted to play your stradivarius to to a track it would be it wouldn't be any in anything like real time would it oh no no that's that it, it's basically oh what's, how, how do you describe it it's it's kind of loop based and, it, and it's it's more sequencer based than than playing along with anything i mean you could play audio files you could record an audio file and, and slap that in and it would time itself up with everything else sync itself up with everything else and you the other person would be able to hear the results almost instantaneously but it's not something that you can have a guitarist jamming on one side and a drummer playing along the other side they have to sure they have to adhere to 
code set within the software but i've tried it and it and it's a lot better than i've made it sound <laughs> <laughs> well we did we did a thing i think they were called e-jamming and um, we did a piece on them i think um earlier this year that, that looked quite good there was a guy you know a hundred miles away i don't know have you ever used digi delivery dave uh, only once, but uh, I mean, I have to say it was by proxy if somebody else was um, dealing with all the kind of techie stuff for us. Uh, but it was good, very yeah. good. For those who don't know, DigiDelivery is a kind of is a way to transport files. You have a kind of ma- a server, which maybe let's say a main studio, and uh, you know people get accounts and they can upload multi-tracks say for instance so if you're going to go and do a mix of an album or you have been doing mixes and you want to do a recall and you need to send a couple of new stems up or whatever you can send up i think i sent about five or six hundred megs up once and i only had an adsl line and i was just sitting there thinking oh this is going to take hours and hours and it it didn't and i don't really understand why it didn't because 500 megs is 500 megs but i think there's got some something clever going on there it took much less time than i really thought it was going to so you know there are ways um they're not the same as being face to face i suppose but maybe you could have some sort of video conferencing and we're going to have to think about it though aren't we we're going to have to kind of maybe start exploring these things i mean Uh, just uh as a a, an anecdote along these lines i interviewed an engineer for one of my endorsement stories during the week and he's uh, he used to work at townhouse which is just closed yeah uh, the recording studio and he's um, relocating to serbia montenegro i think it's pronounced because he, he can buy a beautiful house there like a palace for ridiculous money and he's going to just carry on working there he, he can do everything via the net now um uploading files downloading files doing his mastering doing his engineering he it, it, on the, the the rare occasions that he's going to actually have to meet bands and stuff like that uh, he, he's going to use the plane but um he, for the the bulk of his work he's going to be doing it in his studio sounds like on his own so it's perhaps not the best existence but it's certainly doing Okay, I, know. I suppose if he's got a palace, he could always get them in and they could uh, yeah. stay B&B and he can make a few extra quid, couldn't he? <laughs> I think it's fascinating because, I mean, as I said, we were, you know, middle of nowhere, rural France. And for the first time ever with broadband, it actually occurred to me that, you know, we I can actually now pretty much work anywhere. As long as we've got broadband, we can continue to function. Yeah. It's also scary when you think about it that way, is that how essential it's become to a lot. You know, I mean, well, for me, you know, it's my entire business is, but, you know, Sonic State is based around people having broadband because we're doing so much streaming stuff. So if that goes away, it's sort of a bit of a frightening prospect. Uh, yes. Yes, there is that side of it. You put the fear at me now, Nick. It's not going to go away, is it? Uh, well, not as far <laughs> as I know. Uh, on which note, I did get a, a web page for an electric car yesterday, just launched in the US and it is amazing I know this is nothing to do with music at all but 0 to 60 in 4 seconds about a centre mile 250 miles per charge and this thing looks incredible I that's it. amazing uh, it's $100,000 at the minute yeah there's a, a documentary out at the moment which is what it's called, I think it's called What Happened to the Electric Car and yeah, it's about the great it. sort of cover up about uh, the oil companies sort of squash, squashing uh, this this great uh, obviously not the one that you've seen Dave no, they didn't succeed there but there was a, a good one that came out before and uh, apparently the oil companies got together and just uh, brushed it aside yeah I want to see that who killed the electric car so um, the other thing that's come up is uh, this new Native Instruments Audio Control One, an audio inter- interface, USB interface. What's going on? They're making. I thought they were a software company, right? 
I think the, the, the fact that they're making this is a lot more exciting than the actual product itself. Um, it says it's much more than an interface. Uh, I think it is. It's slightly more than an interface. They could have said it's it's an interface with uh, some c controls bolted on the top to control your software. But what it represents is a bit more exciting. The fact that Native Instruments have now done two pieces of hardware and, and kind of they've said audio control number one. So uh, where does this say they're going? They're going into hardware where there's money to be made uh, and maybe moving away from software where there clearly isn't. So it, it's actually quite exciting from that point of view. And I wonder what uh, other companies are thinking about it. So it looks mm. very nice. And it uses, um, if I read correctly, Cirrus Logic uh, converters. Which uh, apparently are quite good. These are the high-end buggers. From what I understand, there's basically two types of a there's two AD converters that uh, everyone uses. <coughs> Low-end stuff has the cheaper one, and high-end stuff has the better one. But that's what I understand from talking to a load of people. When I was hunting around for a you know good interface, I was looking at the Apogee stuff and the Lavery stuff, uh, and everyone said. Or the people that I spoke to, whose opinion I respect, said, um, actually, if you went with something like the RME, you get that same high chipset, the high quality chipset, um, but obviously at a decent price. Which one did you get? Did you get one with some analog in then, the RME? Yeah, I got the Fireface 800, which has got your 10 ins. It's glorious, absolutely glorious. I mean, it does sound pristine. I'm very happy with it. So is this using the same chipset, Audio Control 1? Is this using the same converters? Because it is fairly cheap. I mean, it's 279 euros, and it comes with 400 euros worth of software, which is... Uh, oh. which is hey, so they're nice. actually paying you to buy it? Yeah, that's quite good. Maybe I'm, I might ring them up and say, can I have the 121 euros instead? Yes, and I'll save on shipping. <laughs> you can pay me by PayPal. <laughs> My first, I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, you know, who's, who have they OEM this from? Because it does look suspiciously M-Audio-like, but with a big knob on the top. Um, so I've always wondered, Dave, what does OEM actually stand for? Um, it's short for Original Equipment Manufacturer, which um, by all accounts is a misleading term for a company that has a special relationship with other producers. Okay, so, I mean, somebody who makes uh, a, a widget and then other people buy it and just put their badge on it, essentially. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it doesn't look like the this audio control one uh, is one of those, although the front of it looks has a sort of uh, M-Audio quality. I think you're right, but um, the rest of it looks an awful lot like the kind of core, doesn't it? I mean, the top, those sort of lovely um, red underlit um, glowing... Well, there's a big glowing knob and three glowing buttons by the looks of things. Is that practical, having it like that? I'm just trying to think how you would work that. How would you use it in a work situation? I suppose as a desktop interface, you would be looking down at it and using it like that, wouldn't you? I'm just thinking if you had it racked up, then it would be pretty useless. Uh, yes, yeah. I think it's, it's probably designed to sit alongside your core or yeah. on top of one end of your uh, MIDI controller or something like that. I think it's a mobile uh, unit as well, so I think they're designing it for laptops too, so maybe it is okay. But it looks good. I mean, but as I said, I mean, they did say, you know, they go on about how it's it's aimed at DJs, but there is no phono input, which I think is a bit of an oversight. There's not very many things these days that you can get that have got uh, phono preamps built onto them. I mean, the the Cool Chaos Pad used to have it, and now the KP3 doesn't. So I mean, it'd be quite nice to have something with a phono input, particularly if it says aimed at DJs. But hey, I'm sure it's got m many other features that everybody's going to love. Coming soon to SonicState.com. Going solo. Hi, um, I'm Andrew Coleman, um, also known as Animals on Wheels. Uh, I'm a musician and producer. 
and Bender. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I um, just by uh, short circuiting, I've got these. I've put knobs on. <laughs> Quite good, isn't it? Sonic State. Speaking of hardware, um, little fatties in the shops apparently. Anyone seen one? Touched one? Played with it? That's the uh, moon, little fatty. Yeah, very briefly at uh, Mesa, I think, this year. Sounds nice. Does sound nice. Yeah, it's a lovely bit of design. Did you notice that there was a story I put up a few weeks ago, actually, of uh, Axel Hartman, who was the guy behind the Hartman Neuron, who does a lot of uh, interface design and industrial design for for synths and uh, other other things, um, actually designed the front panel for that. Ah, okay. So he hasn't disappeared then. But it's a very interesting design because it sort of takes that kind of parameter access control of the concept of the source, but kind of modularizes that. So you have, you could, you don't have just one knob. You've got one knob per section that you could that you have parameter access. It's quite a nice, uh, quite a nice idea. Um, but of course, it's actually now uh, a year there or thereabouts since uh, since Bob Moog passed, which was obviously a bit of a sad day. I mean, I suppose we did kind of see it coming. We knew he was ill, and you know he was kind of. But it, thankfully, it didn't go on for too long. But um, a great man for sure. I mean, anybody um, have any dealings with with the gentleman? Uh, yeah, quite a few. Um, he was a brilliant guy. I mean, he was definitely he was just sort of one of the gents of the industry. Great raconteur. Uh, most of my contact with him was through uh, Wakeman, and of course, him and Rick were very good friends for a long time. And in fact, it's a little known fact that Bob had a really mischievous sense of humour and uh, I was witness to Rick who's quite a lech at the best of times and I know I'll take that in the best intention um, Rick and Bob talking about water stroke Wendy Carlos and I was in hysterics throughout the whole of the chat I'd, I always sort of felt um, a bit overawed. I mean, I did interview him once. Uh, not only was it my first meeting with him, but it was my first ever interview. So I was uh, I was a little bit compromised and, um, quite frankly, terrified and sort of sweating profusely. But you can't see that because I'm not actually on camera. But uh, he was kind of very gentlemanly and, and, and uh, was very good. But I, I unfortunately wasn't. So I didn't get the best from the situation. And the only other time was um, when they launched the piano bar when we were in Nashville. We went to a party and it was a lovely party. All the people at Moot were work at Moog are great guys and they're they all very um hospitable and then sort of bob came and sat next to me and i just sort of felt uh i couldn't think of anything to say and it poor guy it must have happened to him to a lot really because i mean he was such a sort of gargantuan industry figure i did exactly the same nick i uh, they had a turnkey uh, uh do a turnkey a few years ago when they were opening some kind of extension and they they, they got underworld and orbital who were massive at the time you know to go along and help open it and bob was there and uh, I, uh, without wishing to sound big-headed, I've met quite a few reasonably famous people, and I could sort of stand next to Underworld and talk to them and Orbital. But I tripped my way over to speak to Bob Moog, and ended up just giggling nervously like a girl in front of him, and didn't say anything. Ended up just turning around and walking away, and he just looked quite shocked, really. Oh dear. <laughs> well, I suppose if there's any consolation, he probably wouldn't have known who you were, so it no, he no. wouldn't have been shocked himself. <laughs> I think that the best occasion that um, I spoke to him was when, I don't know whether anyone was there at the opening of this synth museum back in the 90s. In the ah, the, the famous synth museum. Yeah, I mean, it was quite stunning, and we'd, we'd kind of been down there and, you know, 
done some work on all the various synths to get sounds out of it and it was our job to kind of first of all invite a load of people um, Martin whose synth museum it was didn't know anyone in the industry so we got Bob in and the underworld guys and all the rest of it and uh Bob hadn't actually seen the collection. I mean, there was a mammoth amount of Moog stuff. I think there was about sort of seven or eight mini Moogs, four or five of the big modulars. Uh, and we filmed him coming down the stairs into this place. And I mean, the look on his face when he saw the Moog corner, which was pretty epic, was brilliant. And he actually took one of the modules out of the modular and said, oh yeah, this is a such and such and such and such. I, I, I would probably, this would have probably been done on my kitchen table. And he slid the module out of the modular and turned it round and he'd actually signed it on the inside in about 1968. Ah, oh, brilliant. He's, he's, he was one of the, I mean, Moog is, it's kind of like Hoover, isn't it? It's a name for synthesizers. That's what people say. You know, it's like what my grandmother would call a synthesizer. She'd say, oh look, he's playing a Moog when it might have been something else completely. He kind of, his his name is just sort of so massive in this particular world. It's I don't think there's going to be anybody else to to fill his boots for an awfully long time. And of course, so his name is so massively mispronounced by yes. everybody as well. Uh, I'll dig the video out and I'll put a link up in the show notes because he explains the various ways in which it could be pronounced to me. But it is supposed to be rhymes with Vogue. It's Mo Moog, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's that's the yeah. kind of. But that's even the Americanized version. There's a sort of Moog, which is the Dutch, oh, right. the Dutch kind of styly, apparently. Oh, I'd love to see that video. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, hope Moog. Um, good luck with their little fatty. I mean, I think it's going to be a big hit for them. I was talking to uh, Roger. O'Donnell in the last podcast and he was sort of saying that he's probably going to use uh, use one and he really liked the way that it works and the fact that because all the pots on it are V-pots, when you change patches you can grab any parameter and you're not going to have any kind of parameter jumps like, uh, unfortunately you do get on the Voyager, but I mean the Voyager does have many other features that the, the little fatty doesn't, but the, the fact that um, its pots are, although they are, di you know, they did have digital encoders. They're not totally rotary. So, if you change patches and your filter is totally open in the previous patch, and you go and you just want to open the filter a bit, it'll go whoop and it'll jump to the open phase before you get to the place that you are. So, the little fatty is probably going to be a really big hit with people who want to use it live. I would imagine, amongst other what, things. What's the um, retail price of this? I think it's fourteen hundred dollars. Oh yeah, fourteen seventy-five dollars. So I mean, that should come in at about nine 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 in the UK. Yeah. Obviously, the news last week was, um, as well as uh, the new towers that uh, we're all very excited about. Actually, one interesting point about the new Mac Pros is, um, for the same spec machine from Dell as a server, it's nearly a thousand dollars more. So the, De the Dell machine is a thousand dollars more. So if you want a serious quad-core Xeon. Um, big boy pro big boy computer you're going to be paying an awful lot more than apple are charging for these uh, entry-level mac pros well that's Which, amazing because dell are exactly. regarded as the uh, the cheapest ones you can buy it's a they? very interesting development but while we're on the subject of uh, of apples um leopard 10.5 was previewed at the uh, recent wwdc conference um while they were saying that you know what uh, features it had such as uh, time machine which is kind of like a backup solution it enables you to kind of click on an application and then go back through time and see what you've deleted so you've got sort of system snapshots but you've also got application specific system snapshots by the looks of it it looks quite interesting you i'll put a link in the show notes and there's a very informative video which kind of displays what they're on about so it's going to have a decent built-in backup because up to now backing up on a mac you've kind of got to have a bit of system admin about you you know you need to know what you're doing have you found that dave uh 
Yes. I mean, if you want proper backup, like, oh dear, my hard drive's crashed, I actually need to reboot my system as it was, you need to know what you're doing. And uh, uh, yeah. I think this is going to finally... Um, you know, finally bring that into the sort of iChat, iTunes kind of realm where iBackup, maybe it should, they should just call it iBackup, not Time Machine, but uh, hey, well, I'm sure they know what they're doing. Um, but the version that they did release, anyhow, had a lot of fa- major uh, omissions because obviously they don't want to uh, let too many cats out of the bag. Anybody have anything they specifically would like to see in the next version of uh, Apple's operating system? I think t- that time machine sounds really good because I've always uh, I always have a very confusing way of backing everything up with two machines and a one gig card and what what have you. It just takes forever every night. I'm forever just getting totally confused by it. But what I'd really like to see, because I've been using it in the last week, uh, is an application called iWeb, which I think actually comes as part of iLife. iLife. Um, I'd like to see a new version of that. It's a great piece of software that lets idiots like me create websites, which I've just done, um, instantly almost, and you don't need to do any programming at all. You can get it all up there. But the version that they've got seems to be fairly inefficient in that when the site's finally up there, it loads pretty slowly. And uh, I guess it's just a new version of that would help my Optimization, yeah. Yeah, just optimising it a bit more. I'd like to see um, virtual desktops. I don't know if you've ever seen that, where because if you've got a laptop, you know, you've, there's, there's limited screen space, and what you can do is you can have kind of essentially four or five or as many desktops as you want, and you just kind of go, right, show me another desktop, which would have maybe a screen set for my email, rather than having to kind of find my email windows behind all the other applications I've got. That would be nice. Great idea. That's a great idea, yeah. And um, the other thing would be, uh, I'm very keen on this visualisation, you know, a bit more of that, because I know they're, they're talking about boot camp and having that more into integrated and well it will obviously be there but visualization which is as we've talked about before is the ability to run um, multiple operating systems on the same chipset uh, and and the chip is designed to handle it so you're only you know so if you've got two if you've got os 10 and windows open applications in um in windows will be running at two-thirds their native speed Wow. Which ain't wow. bad, is it, really? Yeah, I wonder sure. I wonder how that would work. I'm not sure how that would work with maybe very data-specific stuff like uh, audio and video, uh, but that would be interesting. I mean, the other thing it's that would be very good is, um, because at the moment with Parallels, um, it only optimised to use a single core of your dual core. So effectively, OS X would take one core and Windows would take the other core. Whereas if it could um, maybe, you know, move around a bit and you could you could utilise the both cores... And Dave, what would you like to see? A button uh, that says "Convert all my software to be compatible with <laughs> Intel Max." Yes, absolutely. Yes, I think the thing I find frustrating is that you know when they announce all this stuff, then we just get inundated with people, you know, early adopters going, you know, well, so when is your stuff going to be updated and when is it going to be ready? But inevitably, there's you know there are teething troubles, and this stuff takes a lot longer. You know, if you want it to be robust from the off, it does take a lot longer than uh, Apple claim initially. I think uh, I, I like the idea of the time machine. Certainly, the virtualization is, is has got to be essential. Um, but from a developer's point of view, every time Apple do anything, it scares the crap out of me because it ine- inevitably means that uh, we're playing catch up again. A couple of 
podcasts ago, I I just talked about some uh, music that I review because I review albums and I'm on quite a few interesting uh, release lists. So I get sent the odd gem. I, I do get sent a lot of rubbish as well. I have to to add, uh, but the two. I just wanted to mention this uh, this time round for the new album by a band called Bent. I don't know if you've heard of them. That it's their fourth album, and they're one of these kind of always been in the background bands, never really done, never really done themselves justice. Um, and when I was ripping my entire CD collection to my iPod a few weeks ago, I then when I reviewed this album, looked back and, and saw which albums I had, and I've actually got all of theirs, which I didn't realise, and I only ripped the albums that I like, so I clearly am a fan, and I didn't realise it, but that's one of the things that iPods do to you. I've described it as indescribable loveliness. Uh, it's quite upbeat, quite fey. Um, one of them sounds like a, a workout between the Corgis, if you remember them, and Express 2. It's kind of uh, just very, very nice. They do anything from ambient tracks to kind of disco, uh, and everything in between it's 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 all interesting stuff and uh and talking about express 2 they've got a new album coming out as well on skint called makeshift feel good the the bent album's called intercept but the express 2 album i really like and i'm not i'm not a big dance fan these days because there hasn't been a lot that's come out that's that's really got me interested but um they they set out to make music that sounds as good at 3 p.m as it does at 3 a.m in the morning and they really have done it with this. It, you could listen to it any time. Uh, it, it reminded me, not in terms of the sound, but in terms of the concept of, of leftism, you know, the Left Field album. Oh, so in terms quite, of it was a, quite it was a proper, proper album that you could right. listen to, uh, and it had a bit of, bit of structure. But they've, they've, well, they've got uh, people from uh, Lamb Chop, Radio 4, and Kissing the Pink. Do you remember them? Kissing the Pink, the last yeah. film I ever saw. Well, they, all, they feature on no less than four tracks. So uh, they're due Lord. for a comeback as well. Oh, well so yeah, they want to check out. That's more tracks than they made when they were famous, isn't it? Or <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but but check them out. I I think they're the two of the best. Well, the, certainly the the Express Two albums, one of the best uh, dance albums I've heard in the last four years, to be honest. And the Bent album is solid, good Bent material. Here's a Moog sound for you. With the classic filter. Yes, wasn't that smooth? Those lovely harmonics. Thanks, Dave. Okay, well, um, I'd just like to say thanks very much to Andy Jones. Thank you very much. And Dave Spears for joining us today. Thank you. Okay, so once again, please do. Um, we'd love to get your comments. Um, keep them coming. Um, you can contact us on the Skype handle Sonic Talk. Uh, we've got an answer phone on there, so you can leave us a message. Uh, we've also got a Skype in number, so you can just ring us and leave an, an answer phone message. In the US, that's uh, 312-376-8089. If you're outside the US, obviously call 001-312-376-8089. Uh, or good old email, sonictalk at sonicstate.com. Hey, guess what? We got our first caller. This is Andy. Uh, we don't know where he's from, um, apart from he's in the States somewhere. But he called in to say hi, and uh, thanks for ringing, Andy. And we look forward to hearing some more from more people. So, just to prove we will play your messages, here it comes. Yeah, hi, this is Andy. Uh, I've, I've used uh, Sonic State for information for years. I really appreciate you guys. Um, very informative, Sonic State is a wicked useful tool uh, thanks for the info thanks for still doing this uh, we appreciate it Sonic State.com Sonic.